0: And now,
1: it's time for Inside, Inside
0: Conan,
1: an important
0: Hollywood podcast. Hello, welcome to Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast.
1: Uh, Hollywood, let's get back to the important stuff. Now that the election's over.
0: Tinseltown, that's where it's at. Whether you're from a blue state or a red state. <laughs> oh,
1: boy. Hi, we are your hosts. I'm Jesse Gaskell. I'm a writer on The Conan Show.
0: Yes, I'm Mike Sweeney, also ditto, yes, writer, Conan. <laughs> and uh, this is a podcast, to talk about The Conan Show, behind the scenes, talk to guests who have some connection with the show. That's the premise. And we solve murders.
1: We do. We- <laughs> yeah, so you have to listen all the way to the end in case there's a twist. Mm-hmm. That's what they always make you do, the true crime documentaries. You have to watch to the very end. It's exhausting. The twist always happens in the last episode.
0: So I just watched the last episode. No, you- <laughs> some documentaries I've noticed lately, they add some padding. They cut it with baking soda.
1: Yeah, we were talking about the vow. Talk about padding in the vow.
0: That's about Nexium. Yes, and now seduced. There's a competing documentary about Nexium on Stars.
1: Stars. I yeah.
0: ended up watching that, and I don't usually cults. Kind of, I don't enjoy delving into cults. But I have to say, this was um, pretty well done. The, the Stars one, I thought was really good.
1: Speaking of cults, yes. I mean, the news right now. Uh-
0: It really is a cult.
1: We have a very doomsday-ish writer's room, so we get a lot of emails that are like, the coup is happening. Yes, yes. I assume that if a coup is happening, I mean, we'll hear about it with enough time to plan for that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I look out the window. I look for tanks. (laughs) And I think I could hear the treads. I think there's a very distinctive... I've seen a lot of World War II movies, so I'll I'll know when there's a coup. Yeah, yeah. I think the first place will come is Los Feliz.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They'll go to Little Doms.
0: Did you observe crazy celebrations on Saturday?
1: Well, no, I didn't because I was uh, at my boyfriend's place in Orange County. And they were not celebrating there. How about you? Did you... Were there fireworks here? There's a
0: slight contrast to to Orange County. We walked down to, uh, you know, the local gas station where a party just broke out and people... (laughs) we're dancing on top of cars and then i went by several hours later and it was still raging wow it was juvenile fun <laughs> it was it was fun
1: let's get into our show yeah let's
0: do the show
1: we decided to have back a previous guest because so many other guests mention him yes it's jp buck who is our stand-up comedy booker.
0: And producer.
1: Yeah, producer.
0: Yep. For years now, he's been booking all the stand-up comics on the show and now he's branched out.
1: And he really goes and finds people. I mean, he like... Yes. Sources new comics.
0: Yeah, he likes to discover people and and kind of really get into the comedy trenches and look for new talent. And he's great at it.
1: Yeah, so many of our stand-ups have talked about him as being, you know, really integral to their appearing on the show and doing well.
0: Yeah. And they're greatly appreciative of of how much he's helped them. And so we thought it'd be great to talk to him again. And also about all the other projects he's got going. He's producing comedy specials. Yeah, So we thought we'd catch up with him.
1: And just how do you do all that right now over Zoom?
0: Yeah. Here's our interview with J.P. Buck. Hello, J.P. Welcome back. Nice to have you back on the podcast.
1: Welcome back.
0: Hey, guys. Great to see you and talk to you. It's it's been a while. Yeah, that's right. It's been a long time. I know. But you look the same. You look great. You look well. You look better.
1: Are you wearing your signature khaki pants?
0: I haven't worn pants since like February. Careful. I mean, I've been wearing shorts. That's why I should say
2: yesterday. Sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: We're excited to have you back on because your name has come up so often when we have comedians have been on the show. They all sing your praises. And, um, and
1: we're like, him? Right. <laughs>
0: jp books all of the stand-up comics on uh, the conan show you started out on conan doing that now your duties seem to just be growing and growing you're producing um, stand-up specials and live comedy shows as well as booking comics for the show so it's kind of an expanding jp buck uh, universe do you find you're actually busier the past eight months in quarantine than than you were when in normal times we'll call them
2: Maybe not busier, but I've certainly, it's been more learning a lot of new skills. Right. Certainly been sort of trying to, whereas for the past, you know, decade, I've been on kind of all, don't tell Coney, but I've been on autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> and so once we went to this quarantine, yeah, it was sort of trying to figure out, okay, how do we keep doing what we're doing, but in a different way?
1: Yeah. Well, especially when the whole industry is changing so quickly, because so much of it was live in person performance.
2: And never thought that would go away. I never thought there would be a reason.
1: Yeah.
0: One thing that I'd love to know was this: your dream as a young man, like someday, I because it, it's such an unusual job when you think about it. But how did you find your way to where you are today? Gosh, that's a it's good. It's a good question because I never, I never
2: knew this job existed.
1: Yeah, me neither. Up until this moment,
2: right? until <laughs> <laughs> I gave your credits. Hey, Jesse. That yeah, I'm the guy that works, works downstairs from you, and. Right. Uh, <laughs> And this is what I've been doing the whole time. No, it's. I've, I grew up as a huge fan of stand-up on The Tonight Show. I was a huge Carson fan. I loved seeing comics come out there. And I just assumed that comics called Johnny up and were like, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. Do you mind if I pop on in? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I literally thought yeah. that's how it works. Yeah. So, I know I, I, when I went to school, I went to school, I got a degree in economics. because I figured that was sort of, I mean, I liked math, and I also thought that that was a safe play. And then as I got out in the real world and found out how boring a financial job was to me after about two years, I decided, you know, what, let's take the leap into TV. And then I just slowly tried to work myself from I started starting game shows. Right. And then got into, eventually got into talent shows and comedy.
0: Wait, so you were working in the financial industry. hmm Doing what? I was working in the international treasury department at Viacom. Which I knew cooked. it. No. Oh, so, <laughs> you were, <laughs> so you were working at Viacom. So that's yeah. where, okay. Now, did you specifically apply to a television uh, giant like that uh, going into it, like thinking, oh, that might be more interesting than working at a bank? Or was the TV aspect of it something you discovered once you were working there and said, oh, I'd like to go into that?
2: I wanted to get in, into entertainment in some form. And so my first day after college, I think I was the only person in my in my group of friends that didn't have a job or was not accepted into medical school, or law school, or something after school. And so, right for the first few years, it was it was the bane of my existence, um, just kind of hearing yeah, that was rough. how great their jobs were or whatever they were doing was. And I, I, but up the day, <laughs> i am going
0: to specialize in? Oh fuck!
2: <laughs> yeah, so go ahead. I left school for graduation. I uh, was living with my folks, and then I took a train to New York City and did this whole. I guess it's old fashioned now, but I went literally door to door to every record label I could find, and I would talk my way to the you know the, the highest person on the food chain that I could get to, and hand them a resume.
1: Oh, I love that because this this was a thing that my dad suggested when I was looking for a job, and I was like, "No, you can't do that anymore. They don't let you in the building."
0: Right. What's the highest you got in this door-to-door?
1: I
2: (laughs) I I think uh, a an HR representative. Usually, it was the front desk was like, "No, right, uh, we'll take it," and then they would dump it in a bin.
1: Yeah.
2: But someone actually took my resume. That I got home the next day, I got a phone call, and it was from Mariah Carey's management company. And they wanted me to come in for an interview. And they had heard that I had applied for the record. You know, for, I guess it was Sony Records. A, uh-huh. And she was with Sony. And somewhere through Tom Mottola and The Connection, they were like, well, here, why don't you come in and interview to be a, P, a personal assistant for Mariah? So that was my first job.
1: What? <laughs> so you actually were a personal assistant to Mariah Carey? Yeah. Oh! That's- Did you sign a really... Ironclad I- NDA and can't tell us anything. Let's
0: find out. I should say yes. Because
1: yeah. <laughs> 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 that seems like the, if I think of, I mean, you know, the cliche of a diva, that's who it is. So it's like <laughs> the person who wants their M&Ms sorted by color and that sort of thing.
0: She, see, you know what? She seems like she, to me, she's chill all year except. Around Christmas time, then that's when she puts on her her game face. That's when she's. That's when the the Mariah Carey money comes pouring in. And that's right. Really be every out. year yeah. Christmas songs. This is right out of college, right? You were yeah. I went just four years of
2: school to be running around New York, returning bras to Barney's.
1: Yeah, was that <laughs> basically what you got? tasked with was just kind of personal errands for her
2: i mean i think every star sort of has this you've got a personal assistant i think that goes around is you know in your home right then you have an assistant that i guess is on the road with you but i was doing a lot of the menial boring
0: sorting filing picking up mail returning bras which involved math that was good <laughs> had to compare the receipts and make sure you were fully credited so you're using your degree
2: oh yeah yeah my parents were thrilled, thrilled at that.
1: No, I love this though. And I mean, she was a big star at that point too. So that was.
2: Yeah, this is 90, 96. Yeah. Well, I, I only lasted there a few months because it got to the point where I wasn't. I mean, I didn't feel that it was really leading me to a place where I wanted to be. Right. Right. I think I was on a lunch break. I ran down to MTV Networks and applied, filled out some paperwork, and then got a job as you know, sort of the HR department where you would cycle through and you, any anytime someone was sick, right, you would be like an internal temp and so you would sit on their desks and a lot of it was just sitting, basically, mo- most of the time I was a receptionist.
1: Well, JP, when all this was happening, were you, did you ever try stand-up yourself? Was that something that you ever wanted to do?
2: I love stand-up so much but I didn't think, I had done some theater back in like junior high and elementary school and high school. I think the last time I was on stage was probably for my like senior class play in high school and then, I loved it, but at the same time, realized that that's... I don't think I have a (laughs) a career in front of the camera or on stage. So I just took... I think I took advantage of figuring out how the business worked behind the scenes and tried to find Mm -hmm. my way to get as close to the stage as possible, but still be behind the curtain. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, so going back a step, I I mean, I actually think that's kind of cool and unique to you that you were not like an aspiring stand-up who then decided... You know what this is hard I'm I'm just going to manage comics instead or you know I <laughs> cuz I think that that kind of builds resentment if it was like a dream of yours that never panned out then I feel like that would affect your booking abilities That's
2: I mean that's a good point I never thought about that I never thought about it that way but uh yeah I think uh, I I've seen other people before I think who Have a vested interest in being on stage themselves,
0: right? And they can get in
2: the way of the product on stage, and also block others sometimes. Yeah. So,
0: well, the last time you were on the show, you said that you got a job working on the rebooted uh, Star Search. Yes. Were you working on booking on that show? And it was that the first time you got into that realm. I did. Yeah, I had just moved out to L. A. Uh, a
2: few months earlier. Okay. And uh, the first job I took out here that was in the kind of stand-up world was a show called 30 Seconds to Fame. And if you don't remember it, that's quite all right. (laughs) But... It was only 30 seconds. Yeah. It was basically the... If you remember the gong show, uh, it was like the gong show on steroids. And we had like 24 acts in a half an hour. We gave the audience buzzers. And if if people got enough nose on their buzzer, they were pulled off the stage.
1: That's rough.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm still paying. I feel like I'm still paying a penance to this day of the (laughs) comics I did for that show. And then, yeah, then Star Search was the next gig and uh, someone I worked with on 30 Singers of Fame and recommended me. And so I was lucky enough to get pulled into that show. And I mean, it was my first great job. I mean, I really I really think I had uh, a lot of fun and also a lot
0: of influencer and creative control uh, uh, in booking. So was it the first time you felt like, oh, this is a natural fit for me? Oh, yeah. Did you have a storehouse of knowledge of stand-up from your years being a fan, or that you brought to it, or you feel like you just had a fresh eye for what would uh, work on the show, or what was your approach to the job?
2: I mean, kind of what it's interesting and just think about what Jesse said before about not having sort of being wanting to be on stage myself. I just wanted to find the best comics. Right, I thought it was the coolest job to be sitting in a room, and it, the way they set it up with, was was not the best, you know. I think, uh, you know, kind of scenario for success for comics because because they thought that it was. If you remember Star Search, Star Search had various categories. So there were singers, which were adult singers. There were child singers, and then there were models, and there were comics. So they thought, hey, why don't we just rent out a bunch of ballrooms around the country? And people will line up outside, sort of a la American Idol, and we'll just have them come in the room and perform in front of you know two people, and you'll judge them. And we quickly realized that this was a horrible, horrible scenario for stand-ups, so we tried to bring in other comics. So we basically tried to fill the room with sort of almost like an open mic, but... It uh, the first person to walk through the door for us was Roy Wood Jr. Oh! <laughs> yeah, I thought, I was like, this is going to be the easiest job in the world. <laughs> There's
1: all this talent in small-town America.
2: <laughs> 6,000 comics later, he was still one of the best. Oh, my God.
0: We mentioned this earlier, but so many of the uh, stand-ups we've had on the show... They're such big fans of yours and they just said you were so instrumental in helping them shape their sets and help them decide what to do on the show. And just as your fans of their work, they're really a big fan of yours. And what, well, can you tell us what that process is like working with comedians, uh, especially for the Conan show and just how long it takes? It's probably varies, but, but just in terms of getting them ready to do a set on the show.
2: It means a lot that people that you've talked to have had good experiences because I know it, it can be. It's not the easiest thing to figure out, um, and I'm not always. I don't. I certainly don't have a hundred percent track record um, on it. But I, what I do love is I love trying to figure out how to basically. We're, it's a, I, every time I, I think about it, it's trying to solve a problem. Comics are not normally testing out five minute sets um in front of the same audience that they're going to be doing it for uh, in a studio right so i do really enjoy trying to like rely on their their skills and their strengths and then give my little two cents of okay how do we get into this the quickest way possible but also that feels natural cuz you've got to really win them over so quickly and you don't have time to do crowd work so i really love like listening to a full 10 15 minutes kind of marking what i think is the best for our audience and then kind of tossing it back to them. So it's sort of like a, it's a, a lot of back and forth. It's like, here are my thoughts. What do you think? And they'll come back. And there's a lot of push and pull. And I don't try to be too heavy handed. I don't try to tell them I know it all. And I've had plenty of people that I've backed off and said, fine, you, you hear my advice just be ready in case it does not work have a backup plan right. and my favorite my favorite moments are probably the, the times that i've ha- not had confidence in something and seen it get like i seen it get pl- an applause break and been like okay well <laughs> you can learn there
1: oh that's great can you do you remember any specific times that that happened
2: oh yeah ian edwards is the one that comes to mind all the time
1: what happened what in happened? that
2: set? uh well he had a joke about how um, basically about how jesse jackson was not a good leader for the african american community and i said well you know what I it was very I mean, it was a very edgy joke, and I also I don't want to ruin it and tell it out you know outside of <laughs> butcher <laughs> no. more, but but really just that's that was that was the concept and the, and and the premise and then he said, well, you know what it, it always kills and i was like, well, but you're telling it in front of a TV audience that's not really there to see stand-up comedy. It may not really go well and it could they could actually kind of pull away and 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 check out. and he said, I'm telling you." It crushes. I said, "All right. <laughs>
0: right."
2: So he goes out there, and I'm always standing out on the floor with Jeff Ross. And Jeff usually asks me before the, the set starts, "He's like, how's it going to go?" And I always tell him, "I would always tell him it's going to go great, sure." But this was, I think, probably one of the first times where I said, "Well, he's got a joke in here. I just hope it goes well." Mm-hmm. And he lands with the, the first line of, of that of, of that of that bit, and he gets the applause break. And I, I look at Jeff and I'm like, "Oh, well. He's going to crush from here on out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was all it was all in Ian. I just looked, I, I know how talented he is. Right. And I just sort of go, here's my advice. If it doesn't go well, just be prepared for, to have some sort of line to get them back. Right, right.
0: And also he, that bit doing well, you know, it reflects well on you. Of course you wanted to ultimately do well, you know.
2: Yeah. I, if there's if there was a, if there's a bit, I mean, I, there are plenty of bits that I, I just tell people it's not appropriate for. Right, 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 right. Late night television
1: yeah how often does that happen that someone's like no i you you gotta let me drop trow
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean if you ever want to talk to Sam samuel about uh his sets he almost i think he i think he just enjoys having me have to run things by standards and practices
0: Uh (laughs) Uh he just wants to make you work hard
2: (laughs) and i'm like sam again really and I mean, he's a wordsmith and he works so hard and I, I love him to death, but it's every time I get an email, from, I mean, I, I'm excited. I've had, we've had him on the show. I don't know, eight times or something like that, but I know every time it's not going to be one email and done. It's going to be, we're going to talk about this ad nauseum and he's going to be changing things up to the last minute and he's going to make me run stuff by standards and
0: practices. Oh boy. You know, the part you were saying where you go in and you watch and and you see like 10 or 15 minutes set and then see what you like. That that sounds like that's all kind of set up a little bit in advance. Like you've reached out to them; they know they know you're going to be in the audience. Have there been times where you've saw someone that you've never seen or heard of before, where you're like, "Holy cow, they're they're great!" and go up to them and kind of approach them?
2: Yeah, a number of times where yeah, because uh, I, I will sometimes go to a show to see one comic, right? And then I'll you know I'll stay there. I'm not going to just make the trip just for a five minute set, but I will stay stick around and. I remember the one, the first one I can think of is Salman Giorgio.
0: Uh-huh.
2: I had been there to work on a set with another comic. I stepped away to go to the bathroom. I not ten seconds goes by, and the audience is is just dying. I've chosen my you know, my intermission the wrong time. Right. I thought this was going to be the long slow ballad. I'm like, okay, let's sneak away for a second. No, no, this right. was a killer set. I, I had to come back out, and I saw him on stage, and. Uh-huh. You know, the next day, I think, we were emailing and figuring out the set. Oh, that's great.
1: Wow. So a a good note for comics is if JP's coming to the set, make sure there's no one else better than you that's (laughs) going up that night.
2: (laughs) I think we got two or three guests out of that that night. Yeah, it's a good night.
1: Okay, okay. Well, and I was wondering, because that's what you used to do before the pandemic, do you have a new sort of process for seeing comics since shows have gone all online, well, it,
2: it, it certainly changes. Uh, you know, we're trying to figure out ways to still keep standup going um, in our universe. There are a couple of comics I think that have figured out, you know, how to kind of deal with the new setup. And I think I've seen a number of people like Namiak Paragon, Ty Glass. There's a guy uh, named Scott Moran, who's a comedian and, and director who started a web series, and he's just shooting comics at their homes, and they can just do a rant that doesn't require an audience and you it's you watch it and it's undeniably funny yeah i think that's sort of uh it's it's bold it certainly takes a certain style but that's been i think what's working the best right now are people that can kind of talk to camera right and still be really
0: smart in their material that sounds cool and you're also producing live shows for team coco mm-hmm. so how how are you handling the audience for those like the moses storm show our moses and friends show we've had to kind of Pivot a little bit. That show used
2: to be live at the Dicey Typewriter, right? Where we would have comics come and perform, and then he would interview comics. And so we've relied more on his monologues mm-hmm. and then conversations with comics, where they're not necessarily doing material, but they're they're having fun, loose discussions that can be really funny, right? And sort of flexing another muscle. I feel like comics right now are having to try to like you know hone their conversational skills, interview skills, yeah, and writing less, you know, because there's no. It's not a whole lot of crowd work. Yes, there are some drive-in shows. I know certain clubs have opened around the country. Right. We also, at the same time, we're not – our show, you know, Conan on TBS, we're not in front of a live audience. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Changes things a lot.
2: Yeah, I'm not not really chasing comics that are doing stand-up in front of audiences at the moment because we still haven't – you know, we just still can't provide them with a live audience.
0: Well, you also, you know, Beth Stelling just did a, a comedy special for HBO Max that you produced. And you I, you worked on helping to form that show. That sounds like that might have been a new muscle possibly for you or just because you're dealing with an hour long show. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I love that was such a great uh, experience to work with her on that because uh, a couple of comics we produced before Daniel Sloss, he had two shows that were fully formed. Right, basically came in and said we would like to produce these for you. With Beth, she had sent we I'd received an hour long set that she shot in Milwaukee, uh-huh. uh, you know, just on an iPhone. Wow, I thought it was fantastic. And th- this is before this was last year. Gosh, I think this was last maybe August of twenty nineteen. And you loved it, loved it. I mean, I was I think it was maybe 55, 56 minutes long, and I think I fifty six minutes after I received it, I called her managers and was like please, can we please produce this? This is so good. But then that led, you know, Beth is such a perfectionist. So I guess she shot that like, you know, August, September, and then we didn't shoot this special until March 7th. So she spent the next, you know, five months or so just... I mean, run, rewriting and restructuring and shaving off bits that, you know, trimming the fat. And mm-hmm. I would have recorded the set that she sent me. Right. But she being the perfectionist, <laughs> that she is, was
1: like, <laughs>
2: no, there's this joke has to go. I've got a new bit. I'm rewriting this. And it was so worthwhile. I mean, it would,
0: I think that she could be prouder of what she achieved. Do people ever change stuff that you love and you're like, no, 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 leave it the way, way, the way it was? And do you ever have to play psychologist with people where maybe they lose faith in a bit Mm, mm -hmm. that they want to do on the show and, and they're like, Oh, I don't want to do that now. And you're like, no, no, no. I, the reverse of what you're saying before, where you tell someone I think that'll kill on TV.
2: I would say from the hour that we recorded with Beth, and I think this happens with every comic that we've done a special with so far, there are bits in there that I'm like, you know what? I don't think it's the strongest. And then, you know, you can take my, you know, take my advice or leave it. Just like, I mean, you know, they certainly run it by other people, other friends, other comics. Right. And so I've, yeah, there's certainly been bits that I think that I would pull, but at the same time, the nice thing is that you're recording when you shoot a special, you do it twice in front of a live audience. Right. And you tend to go long. So we're looking for something under 60 minutes. Their shows may go 65, 66. So they know, they know they're gonna have to trim something. So I won't fight too much about the live show. Because they mm. do this all the time they know how a live audience works so in a room if you want to do that bit that I don't think is that good go ahead and do it and then what we'll do is we'll watch it down the edit and we'll actually have a different
1: opinion
2: I think we can all look at it and go here's here's the, this one really kind of loses steam don't you agree and there were a couple there were two bits that we pulled from her, from her taping um, that are great on its own but I think for the hour what she was trying to the point she was trying to achieve, you know prove and achieve and right. I couldn't think of it being any stronger than it is at the end, you yeah. know, final result. You know, I mean, we didn't have to edit much. Yeah. And we're talking, you know, a few minutes total out of an hour plus.
0: That's a, a, a secret you just mentioned for stand-up specials, is the fact they're shot twice, and then you... Yeah,
1: yeah, I was going to ask about You can that. go
0: back and forth and kind of cherry-pick the best performances of each bit. Yes.
1: So the person wears the same thing, I'm assuming. And sometimes it's even more than twice. Like, people will... Sh- film for a whole weekend of shows. Mm-hmm.
2: The secrets out. There's it's not just one show usually.
0: Right, right, right. <laughs> Hopefully the first one goes well so you can relax really relax the second taping.
1: Yeah, but you never know where you're gonna have to trim something or cut, you know, cut right. to an mm-hmm. audience member and you want to have all those,
2: yeah. all those cutaways. Beth didn't make it any easier on us because she talks to the audience during the special. Ah. So she finds one person to zero. And basically, it has to stick with that person throughout the entire special. Yeah. So it presents a very unique problem.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Or yeah. just a little something extra, something you have to think about. Like, if we're doing reverse shots, that audience member has to be there for most of the time. So you really get tied into, are we going to stick with audience member A from the first show or audience member B from the second show? Right. Because um, otherwise, it's going to look a little bit weird because you're going to notice that we've made an edit.
1: Yeah. Or you just have the same audience come back this <laughs> for
2: every subsequent sure. show. Always good for comedy to hear a joke a second time, right?
0: <laughs> so now now that we're in the pandemic, I guess, are you still working with some comics on long shows? I don't see how that would be. With the idea that when we get out of this, they'll be able to mount a special again? Or, or is that all on hold?
2: There are two more hours that we were supposed to tape before the pandemic hit. One of which was Moses Storm, uh-huh. and the other which was Chris Red. Moses, we were going to do the uh, first week of May. Uh, Chris, we were probably going to do June, July when he was off from SNL, right? And then when things hit, we realized, okay, hey, let's put this on hold. But we've been we've had many conversations about can we do it justice? Can we shoot it somehow with a COVID cleared audience? But it's hard to have cutaways to audience members in masks without it changing the tone of the special. And we don't want that. I mean, they both have such good specials that are great on their own and they will work pa- past the pandemic. They're not, they're not topical. Oh, they will. Yeah.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. And, and actually you're doing a show. I'm curious how this is going to work. It's coming up on November 17th. Yes. With the in crowd. And it says the audience can buy a ticket to be on the, on the zoom wall. And interact with their favorite comedians. How exactly is that going to work?
2: Well, this is, this is a really, I think, one of the cooler things that's come out of this pandemic right now for comedy Right. is, yes, I think the drive-in shows can work in some aspects, and some people are doing rooftop shows. And right. There are certainly other ways of, of working around it, but this in terms of using the technology, these guys have a warehouse deep in the San Fernando Valley here in Los Angeles But they've got this facility where they've teamed up with a number of people that have worked on super high-end tours, festivals, TV shows, movies. So they all have these skill sets that are very technical. And they've figured out ways to have a comic perform and interact with audience members that are up on a wall. So it is is sort of like a Zoom call. However, all the wiring, everything, the latency and the delay and the laughs is minimal. And you can actually do crowd work. And so, if you buy a ticket, there are two levels of tickets. You can either just buy a general admission ticket. And you can watch the show, and so you'll see this comic, right? You know, doing stand up and also talking to a wall, which sounds horrible, but the way I just presented <laughs> it. But
1: if you if you if you buy the VIP, That's kind ticket, of what we've all yeah. been doing in quarantine, just talking to walls.
2: Yeah, you buy a second tiered ticket, which usually would not be my hope. Is that I would I would I like sitting in the back of the room. But if you buy this VIP ticket, you get up on the wall and there's 24 people that will be up there and the comic can interact with these 24 people. It's been very successful. A lot of comics have really enjoyed it. Uh, one of our friends, Flula uh, Borg, uh-huh. he was the early uh, Canaries in the Coal Mine and he came out saying it was a lot of fun. And if he can have fun riffing with TV screens, then uh, I'm all in. So
0: He's a great improviser.
2: He's so much fun.
0: Yeah, he he's super fast. I,
2: think, I, I, I could talk eons about the stuff that he's done on the show and yeah. how much fun yeah. it's been to see that. But
1: and his various fanny packs. <laughs> 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 that's a that's a separate episode. Mm-hmm. Well, JP, I think we would also be remiss with that if we didn't mention your new web series. The setup. Um, do you want to tell us about it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it started.
2: It grew out of the fact that we couldn't have stand-ups on the show uh, over the past few months. And so we're trying to find ways of still supporting comics that we love. And uh, we had done this series on Conan's tour, where Conan uh, comics were watching back their sets. And then Solomon Giorgio, who I mentioned earlier, he called me up and and he said that he would love to do a director's commentary of his set, the first one he did on the show.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: So that sort of led to, well, why don't we get on a Zoom call and have this conversation together. And I can tell you my thoughts on what happened and then you could tell me your version of uh, the events. And, I, you know, every, every comic, you know, every set that you watch is only like four and a half to maybe sometimes if you're Ron Funches, six and a half minutes. But, there's so much more storytelling that goes on behind the scenes of what leads to a booking uh, mistakes that were made things that edit, you know maybe an edit or two that had to be done sometimes there's the stories of people forgetting their next joke
1: oh yeah we right. had we talked to tig Nataro and that was a pretty epic yeah. forgetting of she just totally blanked mm-hmm. in the middle of her set but then she asked you to keep it in which was kind of shocking too
2: at, at the I, I was do i wanted to do everything to preserve and protect her and she just said no no, <laughs> do, <laughs> yeah. not, do not do that.
1: I want the world to know yeah. who I really am.
0: We also do you remember the other time she was going to do the squeaky uh, stool, the squeaky stool across yeah. the floor. And it turns out they had waxed the floor. Do you remember that in between? The preparation the- we had to do. And I talked to Tig actually in an upcoming
2: episode. I actually did get to talk to Tig about her set where she pushed the stool around. And mm-hmm. Kind of what led to it was uh, unlike anything I've ever booked on the show, so uh, but yeah, it turned out to be one of my favorite sets we've ever had.
0: yeah, no, it was hilarious well who just quickly, who are some of your favorite comics that you've had on the show?
2: Oh, I, that's not
0: fair, okay, ah! good.
1: All the people l- that are or, on the set up,
0: or how about the most memorable? That's okay. Some of the most
2: memorable sets, and I would have to say, are you know, they're because they're unique and they certainly stand out in the community. Uh, would be we pushing the stool, uh, John Dore and Rory Skull coming out and doing the double the first time.
0: That was that was a great set. Yeah. The, can you explain the double? They both. Yeah. Was the idea that they were both booked
1: double booked, the same night? Yeah
2: yes that we made the mistake the whole idea was that and conan sold this is what was even more fun about the set is that conan really enjoyed blaming the staff and saying that he, they had made this horrible decision you know this mistake we just happened to book two stand-up comics on the same night and not only that but now these comics are such professionals that they are comfortable performing on stage together at the same time <laughs> It's just a ridiculous premise. And I look back at the YouTube clip and there are still comments to this day going, well, why didn't one guy just go like the next night?
0: Uh-
1: <laughs> I love that. Somebody really screwed up. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I mean, and they, they just let it go for five and a half minutes.
1: <laughs> Something
2: like that. And then there's uh, I mean, Reggie Watts who, I mean, it's not considered a stand up, but those were segments that I booked that I really enjoyed because right. I don't think people realize how good a singer Reggie Watts is. He did a cover of a Led Zeppelin song I heard one time that to this day is still my favorite version, even better than the original. Oh, wow. And the fun thing about Reggie was that he could pretty much do anything. And I always loved like throwing a challenge at him. Like this week, you're going to have to do this. And this week you have this prop or this week. And he would every time come up with something. And there was one show where I, one appearance where I asked him, I really wanted him to perform with a guitarist. I so I would love to have you and another artist work together. And have them have to follow you. And so he agreed. I think this was maybe the fifth or sixth appearance. It took a while to get him there. But once we got there, can't tell you how many guitarists uh, that agreed to do this that he didn't know or recognize. I mean, these are, I mean, if you think of the 90s and 2000s of like level rock stars, like these guitar people I ran by him, of which he had no idea who they were. And finally, I just booked somebody on my own. And he showed up. And then on top of that, Billy Gibbons had heard about this. Yeah. And Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top right. drove from New Mexico, drove himself with his wife, came to the studio. And so we ended up with two guitarists uh, that day. And Reggie at first was like so set on one guitarist, but like, I was like, Reggie, you, Bill, it's Billy Gibbons. It's, he's in like Rolling Stones' top 10 guitarists of all time. <laughs> <you."> and <laughs> once, once he saw Billy
0: play, he was like, okay, yeah. Uh, oh, he made him audition. Uh. <laughs> Let's see what this guy's got.
1: <laughs> okay, it's good.
0: Any any other memorable uh pull you love?
2: Oh gosh. Uh go with Gary Goldman, uh, of course. I yeah. think everybody Gary's says great. He's just not only one of the greatest stand-ups of his generation, but like potentially of all, you know, probably of all time. He's in the He's in the Hall of Fame for sure. Yeah. Um uh, yeah, everybody loves. Every, everybody really loves his, of course, his fifty states abbreviations, right? Uh, which he did on Conan. Which to this, I mean, I can listen to that on repeat. I have no problem. That never loses any any yeah. of its of the humor. I really love that set. But also, his he did one of the role playing. I think my favorite one may be his role playing one where he talks about. Yes, his,
1: I love that one too.
2: He and his wife are going to role play uh-huh. mm-hmm. the various ridiculous jobs he. That, that he role plays with her, but he gets so deep into but then they get
1: fixated on the details yes. of, the, of the jobs. <laughs> yeah.
2: God. And he has one line in there that, if you listen to it, I don't even want to say it because out of context, it'll sound horrible. But he has one line there where Conan bellows so loud. It's almost, it almost like pulls you out of the bit for a second. Cause, but it's right, just right. such a great line. And like, yeah, just every time Gary's on the show, like, I can't have him on enough. Like, he's probably the one of, you know, uh, maybe you know three, four comics that I will not even. I won't even push to hear what the set's going to be. Right, and just say I'm right. I'm available this date. I'm like, great. What are you going to? What do you want to do? Here, here, your five minutes,
0: please. I'm
1: going to take the rest of the day off. So here's yeah. <laughs> the keys to the studio. <laughs> that's
0: that's a great place to be where you don't even have to check anyone out anymore and just yeah. slot them in, slot them in, and off mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> well, before we're going to wrap up in a minute, but we. Always ask everybody for some advice, and I can't think anyone better to ask than you if you have advice for people starting out in uh, the comedy field.
1: Or people who want to be comedy bookers, maybe.
2: I'll go with the first one first. Uh, I'll say for stand-ups. My advice would be to trust your instincts and trust your voice. Uh, Don't try to be anybody else. Cause I think that the standup field is so crowded. It's gotten so much more crowded now than it was when I started that I think people are dying for unique voices. It's going to be harder. (laughs) There's going to be more people closing doors to you in the beginning because you don't fit in. But in the end, I think it only yields to better, better and bigger things for you. And it's really, I mean, I think it's going to take a while to figure out. I mean, it takes comics always say 10, 20, you know, sometimes 20 years to find your voice. But sometimes you'll age into that person. I think that's I think that's why some comics become bigger stars later in their careers because people want to hear them as that cranky 50-year-old <laughs> instead of that young whippersnapper. Like, not everybody's got that young voice. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, and also it takes a while for the uh, the right audience to find that person because it's, like you said, I think there's the inclination to try to mold yourself so that you can have a broader audience. But that is often a mistake because then you're hammering out your individuality right to try to appeal to too many people so it's better you know if it's like maybe it's not appealing to everybody but it will be very appealing to this specific crowd
0: you have to stick to your guns otherwise no one's happy
1: what about anyone who might want your job (laughs) (laughs) uh i mean they can't have it for a while
2: well i i don't want to i love my job so yes i don't want to but there are plenty of jobs like this. And I think that I would say, like, I think it goes back once again, Jesse made such a great point before. <laughs> I'm not trying to steal your advice, but it's, it's about getting your ego out of the way. Uh, I think that's one thing. I think you can't have too much of an ego because uh, you need to want that person on stage to succeed. So I think you really want to provide that person with as much of a, uh, you know, a safety net as well as some, you know, give them, them some space to uh to succeed and i think that it's really uh important that they understand that you're not going to you're not always going to be booking stuff that you like uh like i i will say i mean as much you know, this is a job uh i'm not booking i of the i can't even i don't even i've lost count but of all the comics i booked for this sh- you know for this show maybe like 60 percent or comics that i would go see uh, you know and enjoy I think there are other comics that have really good sets that work for a different audience, but work for Conan. And that's why I booked them. So um, I think it's, it's really kind of trying to keep a very wide spectrum of types of comics. And you're you're like, you have to, you're booking for your project. Like if you're booking for a festival, you're, you're looking to kind of cast a wide net of, you know, we used to do uh, you know, new faces for Montreal. I worked for them for a bit and you would try and find, you know, 10 to 15 comics, and some of them are writers. Some of them are more performers. Some of them are just wordsmiths. So like everyone has got to fill a different, and some of them, it's all about casting. So you really want to try and, you know, uh, you really want to have a, a different array of comics uh, in, that, in, that, in that, you know, 10 to 15 person setting.
0: And that's interesting on, on a TV show, you kind of are doing that casting, but over a much longer period of time, you know, in terms of trying to get, keep the variety up.
2: Yeah. And it's not just the, it's the style. It's, it's not just, you know, gender or age or race or ethnicity. It's really, you're trying to get a lot of.
1: Right. Indie comics versus club comics versus. Yeah. yeah, Improvised loot players.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You remember that you're still giving me shit for the, that loot player I booked
0: all those years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for doing the show. Well,
1: this was great. Yeah. Thanks, JP. Yeah. And thanks for being such an integral part of the Conan show, too.
2: It's one of the greatest places to work. And I can't... I, I, Conan has created an environment for all of us to... I mean, really, he allows us to to succeed. So it's been... It's a lot of fun just working with you guys and everybody else on staff. And I can't wait to be back in the same building with everybody. I know. Yes. <laughs> Except
0: you, sweetie. Yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> Sweeney's never coming back. I'm not. <laughs> thanks, JP. Okay, thanks, you
0: guys. Bye. All right,
1: bye. And that was JP Buck. Thank you, JP. And here's a JP plug. Oh, do it. You can watch episodes of The Setup on Team Coco's YouTube channel. Also, check out Moses and Friends on Team Coco's YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, and at Team Coco Live on Instagram. And the virtual stand-up show In Crowd is happening on November 17th.
0: Ta-da! We have another fan question. Ooh. It's a voicemail. I love the voicemails.
1: Hello, Jesse and Mike. Uh, my name is Rose. I'm calling from Michigan. Longtime listener, first-time caller. Um, so I'm
0: wondering, will we ever have the chance, oh, I'm so sorry, that's my GPS,
1: I'm out driving for work right now, Um, will we ever have the chance to hear from either Liza or a sibling of Conan? I think that they would have an interesting um, viewpoint that we would all enjoy hearing about. Um, love the podcast, love hearing from you both, hope you're enjoying your fall. All right, thanks, Bye. Thanks, Rose. Thank you, Rose. I hope she got where she was going safely. She was
0: going to work. Yeah. I like that she thought of us on her way to work.
1: I know. Just another thing to cross off on your commute.
0: Yep. left a voicemail for Inside Conan. (laughs) Colin, an important Hollywood podcast. That's a good question. She asked about Conan's wife, Liza, who was just... um, Actually, if you're curious about Conan's wife, Liza, there's a YouTube video that just went up around a month ago of... The, Conan met her on television, which is pretty unusual.
1: Yeah, that's right. I love that story.
0: She worked at an advertising agency where we went. I was there.
1: And you did a remote there.
0: We did a remote there. I picked that advertising agency. And so if I'd picked a different one, he'd be married to <gasps> someone else.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah. Had you met Liza when you chose? Like, did you pre-interview with her mm, at all?
0: I don't think so. No. I think it was... You know our team will be there, and so I no. I met her along with Conan at the same time. I mean, he literally met her on camera. So yeah. you kind of get their initial reaction to each other, which is it's crazy. But
1: and were the sparks flying?
0: They were. Oh yes, they were. They were flying yeah. right away. So well, they, they were flying
1: from one direction at least.
0: <laughs> no, I I, I think <laughs> I think they really both hit it off. So oh yeah, and. uh this remote went back up. And and like, now I can say, oh, yeah, that was my remote. But for years, I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't bring up that it's my remote. Let's let's make sure the marriage has, you know, legs. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, they're having kids. That's a good sign. But still, you know,
1: it's Hollywood. You think it's safe now.
0: Now I feel safe to uh, take full credit. (laughs) Oh, I guess it doesn't answer Rose's question.
1: Yeah. Are we going to talk to her? I don't no, I mean, have we tried?
0: <laughs> no, I, I think we respect her too much
1: yeah. to drag
0: her into this sort of affair. I know. And uh, his siblings. May You know, I assume they're all working on books.
1: I have thought about talking to his brother, Neil, because he tells really funny stories about Neil, and I'm just fascinated by him. He has a photographic memory.
0: He does, especially for for television. Television yes. from its inception through like the 80s, I'd say. It's, it's, oh, so
1: that it's limited to that time frame.
0: Yeah, it's limited to 40 years. Okay. <laughs> it's incredible.
1: <laughs> right, right, right. I get the sense, and Conan said this before, but he likes to keep the show and his family separate.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's very smart. You know, I think that's just yeah. um, why integrate those two things? That just seems messy and looking for trouble. Well, thank you, Rose.
1: Yeah, thanks, Rose. And
0: I hope you appreciate our non-answer to your
1: questions.
0: (laughs) That's what we do best.
1: Yes. Future politicians here at the Conan Show.
0: Yes. If more of you would like non-answers to your (laughs) burning questions, please, please leave a voicemail at 323-209-5303.
1: Or you can email us if you are voice shy, insideconanpod at gmail.com.
0: Okay, that's our show for the week. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks for listening. And we like you. Inside Conan, an important Hollywood podcast, is hosted by Mike Sweeney and me, Jesse Gaskell.
0: Produced by Jen Samples.
1: Engineered and mixed by Will Beckton.
0: Supervising producers are Kevin Bartelt and Aaron Blayard.
1: Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco.
0: And Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf.
1: Thanks to Jimmy Vivino for our theme music and interstitials.
0: You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts.
1: And of course, please subscribe and tell a friend to listen to Inside Conan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you like best.
2: This has been a Team Coco production in association
0: with Earwolf.